Welcome. This is Karen Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. My friend, I am feeling tremendous gratitude. I've spent the morning, I've actually spent the last couple of weeks reflecting as I've been preparing and thinking about the anniversary of the show. How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet, is 14 years old today. 14. I started the show back in 2006. And let me tell you, it's been one hell of a ride. And the other thing that I love about the show, not only the learnings that I've had, but why I really love the show, it's because how she really does it has connected me with you from the show. I have clients that I get to work with my private coaching and my groups and the workshops that I lead. And I love that connection and I get emails from you all or show reviews, or you send me messages on social media. And I love the idea that we are connected I think about you when I think about the show and what do I want to bring and who do I want to bring and what do I want to say? And I also understand it's a huge privilege to be in your ears each week. So the beauty of the show has been my connection with you. And little did I know 14 years ago, what was in front of me, especially during a time in my life where I felt so alone. I believed I was a big failure and I was a loser and I was sinking into, well, Corinne, maybe this is as good as it gets and don't ask for too much. (laughs) Oh, my poor thing. Think about 2006, but I had this voice in the back of my head and it would say, Corinne, there's got to be a better way. And I would just kind of whack it away. I'm like, no, look, I just, I have to work harder, work harder, Corinne, just work harder, maximize every minute. Don't waste any time. Maximize, 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 work seven days of work. You know, as soon as you put the kids to bed, get on the computer and work until midnight, show everybody how hard you are at working, show how everybody, how committed, because at that point you'll be rewarded. You'll finally be seen. Work harder, work harder, beat yourself up, hate yourself. Don't make time for yourself. That was my strategy back then in 2006. Give up on sleeping, work seven days a week and try to do it all with some limited support. And the only reason I had some support was because I had to, like I had nannies for my kids because I went to work. And so I had to have that. But even that there was tremendous guilt about it, about leaving my kids behind. Even listen to that, leaving them behind. They now tell me, (laughs) 2018, mom, it was great. We had somebody who was here to play with us and be the sole center of their attention. (laughs) But I had this guilt. So I was trying to do it all with limited support. And back then, when I think about myself in 2006, I was a mom of four. I had a blended family. I had a senior in high school. 
He's 19 and developmentally disabled and a huge teacher throughout my life. A bonus daughter who was 16 and a junior. A six-year-old, when I started the show, she was in first grade. But when I started working on even looking for the show, she was in kindergarten. And then a daughter who was in preschool as a four-year-old. So I had 19, 16, six, and four. And I had at that point been raising kids, holy moly, I think 13 years. So I've been in this parenting thing for a while. I was the head coach. Most people at colleges and universities are the head coach of one team. I was the head coach of three teams. (laughs) Of course I was. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, And then of course I also taught and I taught PE classes, but I also taught health classes. And then I became one of the first online educators in the state of California. (laughs) So here I'm like working hard, being successful in my professional life. I have this family. I have, you know, this marriage. I have on the outside what looks like this amazing life. But on the inside, I was miserable. If you ask me then, I would say I felt like a loser. What I was was in a tremendous shame storm. I didn't feel good enough, smart enough, pretty enough. I didn't work hard enough, even though I don't know how much harder I could have worked. There wasn't any hope. I didn't have any hope for better. So it was when my daughter was in kindergarten that spring, and I ran into a friend of mine, Autumn, who was the executive director of this media place in town, and they had television and radio. And I looked at her and I just said, you need to create a show. I I, I need to know how I can do better. Like, (laughs) I just need to know. And she looked at me, she's like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, she's struggling with working and parenthood as well. She goes, you should do it. I'm like, imposter, fraud alert, starts beaming up. I know nothing about radio. (laughs) In fact, I don't even listen to radio. She goes, no, Corinne, you should do it. I said, okay. You know when people kind of like, oh yeah, sure, sure thing. I'll get right on that. Well, one is she didn't give me a deadline. And of course, the busyness of my life is always going to take over. And why put myself in front of all the busyness? And so I didn't you know, I kind of thought about it, but it's like, who am I? I'm a fraud. And I, I can't do radio. I just need to find somebody that can give me the answers. And so first grade happens and it's September and I run into her and she gives me the best deadline ever. I see her down the hallway and she says, Hey, Corinne. And we talk and she said, you know, there's a proposal that's come in. That's very similar to yours. And right now we're in the process of considering new shows. So if you want to have a show, I recommend that you get your proposal in. <laughs> Oh yes, that will ignite me to no end. There was a deadline. I didn't want to be left out or to have somebody else do what was hungering inside of me. So I came up with the show, How She Really Does It. And here where I am 14 years later, never thought when I started it'd be for 14 years. I just had six shows outlined and they were originally 30 minute live radio shows, live radio shows. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that you need to go and start your podcast or live my life. It's not, this is, here's the blueprint to a meaningful life. This is my journey. This is my story. And one of the things that I've always talked about on the show is every guest, every time that I come on the show, it's about the windows of possibility. What nuggets, what insights can you take that resonate with you. And then you can apply to your own life and create your own inspiration and your own possibility for you. So I've been thinking about this for the, you know, today's show, what I'm going to do. And I'm going to take you through the windows of possibility that 
were opened up for me as I did the show, the 14 things that I've learned, the insights that I've gained, and then I continued to implement daily and I screw it up. I fall down and I get back up. The first thing I want to talk about is back in 2006, I did something that didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> right? It didn't make any sense for me to go do radio. I didn't have a broadcast journalism degree, didn't like talk radio. I only listened to Tommy T and Ralph Barbieri from CanBR when I would be driving down to grad school in San Francisco every week because my husband was listening to it. So I just listened to it. I didn't really like it. I mean, it was kind of fun and entertaining, but radio was not my thing. So, and here I am doing radio. Didn't make sense, but it was something that I wanted to do and it was inside and I was excited about it and I put it together and I was also really afraid. And I will never forget driving to the station that morning And for the first time in my adult life, I was doing something because I wanted to. It wasn't something I should do because really, if you thought about it, I shouldn't do it because I didn't have all the stuff you're supposed to have. But it was something I wanted to do. It was something I was curious about and I was interested in. And I was doing it for me, which then later meant I was doing it for you right? It it transitioned over, but it was the first time I was doing something to fill my own soul. And here's the thing. I couldn't have not done this if I didn't have the people in my life. So whether it was my friend, Autumn, who supported me or Jeff at the station, who really, you know, held my hand and walked me through the technology of being on air and, and all in the guidance, he was instrumental. But I also had this group of friends of women friends who supported me and cheered me on. And I'd been part of lots of teams and different women's groups through the years or high school groups or mean girls, but these women weren't like that. And they supported me. I was able to share with them something that didn't make sense and they were excited and I trusted them and they cheered me on. They were so excited for me. They helped me find guests they introduced me to potential guests. They sent me articles. I had some friends who are voracious readers and I said, Hey, can you keep me up to date? So they sent me, they're like my own production assistants, right? They sent me or producers, they sent me articles to be aware of. And frankly, they thought what I was doing was really cool. They were like, just really, it was an awesome, like rise up opportunity. These were a group of friends and I, you know, I didn't go looking for them of like, who are people going to support me when I go off on this crazy endeavor? They were people in my life who supported me and they rose up. There wasn't judgment and a ton of support. So right now I want to recognize them and thank them all. Annie, Megan, Nicole, Arit, and her husband who helped with the title of the show. Amy, who took my first photos of this in the studio, Toby. And then of course, my dear friend, Trudy, (laughs) who planted the seed back in 2004, two years even before I started, about my using my voice. So had it not been for those people in the beginning who I was brave enough to share this crazy idea and they were like so excited and we'd go places and they would tell people, oh, this is my friend, she has a radio show and, you know, and they would find people and say, hey, Corinne, here's somebody that would be fantastic. So I could not have started the show without them. Make sure that you listen to your inner wisdom. I did. There was a voice in the back of my head that said, there's got to be a better way. 
there's got to be a better way. It won't make any sense. Mitigate risk. I did something. It was, again, it was going to be six shows. My friend Lauren Wyman was my first guest. And I figured she can talk a lot. She was this mompreneur, which I was very much into back in 2006. And we were going to be live radio. And I figured, okay, we're not going to have dead air, which was my big fear back then. So I mitigated risk, take small actions, and then have a great support team. The number two thing I learned is dream. And over the years, I've actually forgotten to dream and I've come back to it. But when I first started out, I dreamed, I just put down a list of who are people that I'd love to have on the show. And at first, my dreams weren't very big. Like my first six guests were people that I knew that were local, that had interesting stories to share, that had these professional achievements that I wanted to learn more about, and that I had a relationship with where it'd probably be easier for me to get them to say yes. And then as I practiced that muscle and over time, my dreams of who would be on the show grew. And I put a list out. I'd have this list of people that I'd want on the show. And back then in 2007, there was this columnist that I just loved. He was from the Wall Street Journal and he wrote a column called Love and Money. And I loved reading it. I think it was like every Sunday. And his name is Jeff Updike. And I remember when he said yes, I was like, oh my gosh, Jeff Updike said yes. He's going to be on my show. And I was so excited and I was also really nervous. And so when I get anxious, I tend to overfunction, totally overprepared because, right, because I was still in that, I must work harder to be valid. And so I had four pages of questions that I sent him ahead of time to show him, hey, look at me, I'm well prepared. I'm not going to waste your time. So when we got on the phone before we got on the live radio and he said to me, he said, you know, that's a lot of questions. We're not going to be able to get it through it in an hour. I said, oh, I know. I just like to make sure I have plenty of extra just in case. <laughs> so I owned my own overpreparedness. I don't want to call it craziness, but I owned my own self of this is what I needed so that that aspect instead of like, oh, discounting it or standing against myself, which is something I've done. I totally stood with myself. Like, absolutely. I know we're not going to need four pages of questions. I just want to make sure we're good to go. We probably only got through the first five questions, but he said, yes. So I invite you number two, be willing to be you, be willing to be authentically you, right? Own it. Be okay. And stand with yourself. Even when it's with someone you admire who has been a mentor and they give you feedback, own yourself. Number three, the willingness to ask. For years, people would ask me, Corinne, how do you get these guests on your show? Like, this is incredible. How do you get them? And I discounted it because it was a skill set that it was a muscle that I had developed over time for a long time and didn't even realize it was a skill set that I had. I thought, well, it's really simple. I had the willingness to ask, the ability to ask. And that sounds like, oh, we'll just be willing to ask. Here's the thing. That's the action. The thought that I had, the belief that I really had, especially for my show was, hey, I have this platform. I have this community that is 
wanting to learn, wanting to grow. And I think you have this amazing information, story, research, whatever that can help them. Wouldn't you want to be a part of this? And so that's where it was so easy to ask because it wasn't about like, oh, do you like me? Am I good enough for you? Because that's like an immediate door slammer. But it was the ability to ask because I was about, I'm a connector, connecting people with other people. It's like, here's this insight. Let me connect you with this. And this started before 2006 because since 1994, as I was going to conferences for work and professional conferences, and I had this friend who said to me, Corinne, I've never seen a person work a conference like you. Because I would go to the conference and I would sit there and I'd be this really good student, right? The student you were supposed to be. And then afterwards, <laughs> I'd go approach the speaker, you know, I'd wait respectfully. And then I ask my questions. And because back then I had this belief, here you are on the stage speaking. Of course, you want to teach me. <laughs> right? Because that's going to benefit so many other people. So now I was pretty naive back then. And I know the difference now, which has actually created an obstacle. I won't be as brave at times. But back then that youth, right? That ignorance allowed me to be brave and allowed me to ask. And so I sometimes have to step back into that younger self of mine to remind myself of, I can ask. They may be willing to help and, you know, be a voice with my community and they may not. And that's okay. It's not about me. So the ability to ask, and remember, one of the things that's really important is, and I've said this for years, is that it's an invitation, not an obligation. I don't want somebody to come because they're feeling obligatory. And I want them to come because they want to come and they love what they do and they want to share what they do and they want to put out information and use their voice. And I've got this platform for them. So the ability to ask without demanding, it's an invitation, not an obligation. The next one is talent. It's about talent. So I had this pretty fixed mindset growing up, like, oh, either you're talented or you're not. You're either gifted or you're not. You're smart or you're not. It was very much a fixed mindset. And for those of you that have seen the Chariots of Fire, we just rewatched it during a shelter in place or we watched with our family. And it was so fascinating to watch because they really believe these high caliber Olympic athletes, it was about God-given talent, right? And not that something that you could become. And that's really how I grew up believing of, oh, those were the chosen ones and those were not. And I was not the chosen one. And so one of my favorite interviews and guests of all time is Daniel Coyle, who wrote The Talent Code. And what I learned from him is that talent is created, it's not born. And he goes through and he has three different areas that he focuses on and mastering and practice, you know, and, and having a coach. We're not supposed to do it alone, but we think we are. And we can all learn and grow. And so the talent code was great because it put in actually a bunch of previous guests' work into one book. And it's like the nice, I always tell people, if you want to only read one book, read the talent code. It's a great book. So he was able to help me realize and remember that talent is created. It's not born. Number four, growth and fixed mindset. You hear me talk a lot about that on the show. My clients, we talk a lot about it because we can sometimes go into our fixed mindset. (laughs) But Carol Dweck taught me about growth and fixed mindset. And the thing that she reminded me is Karen, it's a continuum. We're not all one thing or the other. And we have different areas of our lives where we can be more fixed mindset and more growth. 
And what I know from doing this work is that some of the areas that we have, you know, followed certain traditions, certain ways of being, certain rules, it's easier to be more in that fixed mindset versus if you're creating a new path for yourself, you may be more in a growth mindset in that area. So just pay attention how you show up. Where are areas that you show up more fixed and where are areas you show up more growth and work on cultivating a more of a growth mindset because that's the ability to learn, to make mistakes, to get up and fall down. Whereas a fixed mindset is so rooted in shame and fear where if you make a mistake, it's over for you. Like I have catastrophic thinking, I know, and I can get into that and my old fears can come back up. And those are really in the areas of my trauma, my own personal trauma. So pay attention and know that you can constantly practice or not constantly, because now that sounds exhausting, but continually practice working on cultivating a growth mindset. And remember, we all need days of rest, right? Like that woman that I was in 2006 and earlier where it was seven days a week. I don't do that anymore. I know I need downtime. I give myself downtime. I don't work at nine o'clock at night. I need the downtime so that I can be fresh and be able to do great work the next day or the upcoming week and be able to do the hard things and the challenges that I have in my own life to overcome them. So growth and fixed mindset has been such a life changer for me about understanding that we can fall down and get back up. We can make mistakes and it's a continuum. Some areas, we may be more growth. Some areas, we may be more fixed. It's not black and white. And then number five is what I learned from Jill Bolte Taylor. She wrote the book, My Stroke of Insight, and she was a Harvard trained neuroanatomist and she had a stroke at the age of 38. And one of the things that she learned when she was recuperating from her stroke and she lost the ability to have language was that she could feel, and we all can actually, people's energies. And so she taught me, we must be responsible for the energy you bring into the space. When I was a teenager and there was a lot of drama in my life and at home, and there was kind of like, I wanted people to feel sorry for me. And I remember like, I would go into the pool with all this drama and, you know, kind of pouting and stuff. And one day I made a decision. I was like, no, when I walk through those gates, whatever happened at home stays at home. I'm going to enjoy my time here. And then I'll go home and deal with whatever's at home. And again, I was 15 years old when I made that decision, but it was something that has taught me and it's helped me. It's like, I talk about growing these muscles, right? These muscles of experience that helps me show up. So whether when I show up here with you, or I, especially I learned this with the aqua monsters when my daughter was in sixth grade, and she was no longer going to the pool that I was at. And I would have to drop her off at this other site. I was driving there as her mom. And I noticed the contrast between dropping her off as a mom or driving my other daughter to practice where I was the coach. When I was driving her, my youngest to go coach, I was mentally gearing up to be prepared to one, show up with confidence, show up with focus, to be calm because I knew I needed to be calm and I need to have grounded confidence because I could be walking into any shit show. There could be a problem with the kid, an employee, you know, a parent. And I knew that, and I wasn't walking in with armor, but I was getting more and more grounded. 
I remember I had this parent years ago. They introduced me to somebody and said, oh, Corinne's so sage. And I didn't really understand what that meant. But I know how to bring in that calm energy. I was really, before I even knew what Jill Bolte-Taylor was talking about, I had learned how to be responsible for the energy I brought into the space. And it started with that decision as a 15-year-old. And then I've continued to cultivate it. And so when I realized I was doing that with my kids in swim practice, I looked at how do I do that for other arenas? And there's still some arenas that I forget to like be responsible for the energy I bring into the space. Like when I walk out of my office into the home, <laughs> I'm kind of like done, you know, I'm wiped out. And I walk out and it's like, whoosh, there's all the stuff going on. And I'm realizing I need to be responsible for that energy when I walk out of my office at the end of the day. I do it very deliberately in certain arenas of my life. And then there's other arenas where I'm a work in progress or I totally suck at it. So I invite you, be responsible for the energy you bring into the space. And especially now we've got so much going on and we have leaders who aren't being responsible and there's a ripple effect. We're feeling it. We're all feeling it. We can't control that. And as my friend Mark Barr said in a podcast previously, control the controllables. What we can control is the energy we bring into the space. Number six, Peter Walsh. Oh my God, what a great Aussie he is. I had so much fun. He was on a whole bunch of times and he probably said this to me. I think every episode (laughs) was like five or six. I think it took me to the last one before I finally attached to it. So that's why we must be repeating stuff over and over because I'm like, no, it can't be that simple. But one of the keys to his success was to absolutely commit 100%, totally commit all in. Absolutely. Yes. I'm doing this. I'm going for it no matter what a hundred percent and then reevaluate every six months. And that's really important. I will say that to parents, like, you know, commit to going to some practice and then evaluate on the pickup, never on the drop-off right? So that's a shorter time frame, but never evaluate in that initial because we have all this resistance. We have all this fear and vulnerability. And we're like, oh no, I don't want to go do it or I'm exhausted. So always evaluate later. And then you have enough data because otherwise we have all these stories of how it's not going to work or these obstacles or are not worthy, et cetera, et cetera. But I loved when Peter, when I finally was able to attach to it and I tried to commit for six months and I tried to be brave and I was like, yes, I could do it. And I'm like, Oh, there goes my brain. It's not possible. Who do you think you are? Yada, yada, yada. So then I got down to like a month. Well, that still didn't work because I had all these negative stuff. So then I did a week and then I said, okay, Corinne, how about you commit for the day? Just commit for the day. And I slowly built up that muscle from the day to the week, to the month, to three months, to six months. And now I can commit to a year. And I really check in with that in certain arenas. I'm not great about committing to that for that long but a lot of arenas I am because I've cultivated that muscle. Number seven, this is really important. As I was going through my website and there's over 728 shows minimum, there's probably close to 800 shows on the website. There are so many stories and so many different paths that each of the guests have lived. And the one thing I know for sure is there's not a right way or a wrong way. There is your messy, brilliant way to live your life. And when we believe that there's only one way or you must do it right, you take away from your own inner wisdom, my friend. And your inner wisdom is the path that is for you. 
really? Like I had this little inner wisdom, Corinne, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And then I started this show, which then unlocked and opened up all these doors and these journeys and stuff that have been incredible. And I've been fortunate and I don't have regrets. I would not. And it wasn't really the plan that I thought it was going to be. But I have the saying that a friend of mine told me years ago, if not this or something better. And that's exactly what these 14 years have been. If not this, then something better. So there are so many ways to live this one precious life we have. And when you listen to these shows, when you read books, when you watch TV, when you talk to your friends, what are the nuggets of insight that you can actually take and apply in your own life? You don't have to do exactly like somebody else does. You have to make sure you have the right ingredients for you in your life. Number eight, I came across this TED show, you know, it was kind of being passed around on Facebook. I'm like, hmm, what is this all about? I start listening to it and I don't really understand a word that this woman's saying, I'm like, whatever. But the one thing that like caught my attention is she said, well, I finished my undergraduate degree at 30. I'm like, you finished your undergraduate degree at 30, but you're a professor at a university. I was like, how does that happen? Because there's kind of this like, talk about a one way. There's like a pathway that you're supposed to follow. And there's like rules that you're supposed to do to in academia. And I was really fascinated. I'm like, wow, how does somebody like that go on and have the courage to say, okay, I've had this, you know, career where I've dropped out of school and I've come back and, you know, I've done all these other things. I've been a, I think she was a, I want to say not a teleprompter, but she would make phone calls, right? She worked like in call banks and make calls out. So she did all this stuff. And I was like, how does somebody do that? And then become this professor and then be speaking at a TEDx conference. I was like, Hmm. So I decided I'm like, I'm going to email her and ask her to be on my show. (laughs) That's what I was really interested in. And did I take a total right turn from that curiosity? Because the person I'm talking about is Brene Brown, right? I didn't understand what she was talking about with shame. I was like, whatever. I don't really get it. Like, and I was so disconnected from shame because growing up, I'd heard shame on you. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I was like, oh, delete. We're removing that word from my vocabulary. And so this woman was talking about it, but I wasn't even absorbing it. But my unconscious was like, Corinne, you need to, you need to pay attention to this woman. You need to pay attention to her. And so pay attention to that. Pay attention to those whispers, those inner wisdoms. What are you curious about? Remember what I was interested in? Total right turn. Because what I learned for preparing in that interview, and this is number nine, she had sent me a bunch of her books and one was The Gifts of Imperfection. I was reading this to prepare because, you know, we all know I'm an over-preparer for interviews and for my guests. And I was like, wait a second, here's this woman who's talking about getting rid of the steps of self-help and how it's basically bullshit. Really? And it takes practice. I was like, I can get into this because that aligns with my beliefs in swimming. Like there's not six steps and then you become this world-class swimmer. There's practice and practice and you're going to fall down and you're going to get DQ'd and then you get back up and can you be brave? And, but then she kept talking about this thing called compassion. And I was like, I don't know what the hell that is. Right. But she talked about courage. I'm like, oh, okay. I can get that. Like I was so intrigued and it was practice. And then she talked about like perfection and how we want to let go of perfection. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, because I had believed up until that point. And I think I was wrestling with it, 
was perfection was the promised land, right? And I'd finally be happy if I followed it and I did everything perfect. I could finally then rest because I had done it perfectly. So Brene is number eight and nine made a huge difference in my life. Here I am a facilitator for work and it gave me a huge lens and helps me lead personally and professionally. And I incorporate her work with my clients and how they live and how they show up in their own lives. Number 10. Oh dear. So this is back in the days. I was like 2009 and I was very much a control freak you know, wanted everything to be done a certain way because I was still living perfectly. This is before Brene Brown. The rule was, if you're a guest on my show, I ask you the questions. (laughs) My guest decided to turn the tables and say, well, let me just, instead of telling you, let me show you how I do this. I was like, uh, okay. So he's turned the interview and he started asking me questions. And again, back then, I didn't even know what vulnerability was, but that's exactly what I was feeling. It was uncertain. There was emotional exposure. There was risk. It was live radio. I was praying that nobody was listening. (laughs) So I'm like, I don't know where this is going. I'm out of control. But it was Simon Sinek. And he taught me how to find my why. And he did it. And I've thought often about that. And when I think about what is my why, and it goes back to serving you and my connection with you. So previously, when I started this show, there was an answer inside of me, there's got to be a better way. But what I learned was being of service is so fulfilling. And I learn and you learn and it becomes a whole fantastic thing. We rise up together. So number 10, know your why. And if you want to figure out how to learn to get your why, we'll put the link in the show notes with Simon Sec interview so you can listen to what he does, and then how you can do it. Number 11. Hmm. I used to have shame about this. I'm just thinking about that. Shame about being angry. Like, oh, you're not being a good girl. You know, I'm too difficult. I'm too much. I have a temper and that's a bad thing. Why can't I just control myself more? But what Harriet Lerner has taught me and helped me see and understand is anger is not a bad thing. Anger means that boundaries have been broken. And she taught me that anger is a way back to you. You can feel that feeling and then check in with what is going on inside. What is your inner wisdom saying? What is it that you need? What is it that you want? And maybe you didn't pay attention earlier on before you got angry and that's okay. Because often we've been taught to discount ourselves and not listen to ourselves and somebody else is smarter and wiser. So anger is not a bad thing it can be a way back to you. So I thank Harriet Lerner for teaching me that because that shame I used to have, I don't anymore. What I can do is say, okay, I'm feeling angry right now. Why am I feeling angry? And I was feeling really angry a couple nights ago because of stuff that's happening nationally in our country. And I could work on that instead of being having shame and shutting down and beating myself up and intergladiating towards myself. Instead, I was able to go, oh, I'm feeling angry and really process that and feel it and sit with it and move through it. So I thank Harriet Lerner for that. (sighs) Number 12, this one's really close to home. This one is home actually. So what I learned in 2012 was there's always a chance for hope. In 2010, our family was pretty devastated. The university decided to eliminate my husband's 
team on campus and I was on the ground floor of the devastation. So much heartfelt because opportunities were now lost. Programming that we all grew up with, if you're really good, if you're the best, you'll be safe. We had to learn that that wasn't the case and true. And a lot of college men had to deal with that because they follow those rules. If I'm good enough, I work hard enough, I'm going to be safe. And that wasn't the case. They were good enough. They were hard enough. They were the best and they were eliminated by people who made decisions. And it was really devastating. And I had lost hope. And there was a betrayal and a whole bunch of stuff and fear and lack of safety. And, and in 2012, the story is long. And there's a show with Scott Welts where we talk about his journey, but he made the Olympic team. He was my husband's swimmer. He wasn't somebody that growing up, anyone would say he was definitely not the God-given talent. He was pretty good, you know, regional swimmer, but he wasn't an international world-class swimmer, but he became one because he made himself one. And it was an incredible partnership with him and my husband. And I remember when he won the trials and the 200 breaststroke that night and landed himself a spot on the 2012 Olympic team, I was in tears. And that was the day that hope came back because I realized that you can have really huge falling down moments. You could spend much time on the floor curled up in a ball, believing that there aren't better days that are going to come. And in a moment over time, we can rise back up again. And it may be hard to understand my own devastation because you're like, oh, but Corinne, it's just a swim team or this wasn't your journey. And it really wasn't. I was, you know, behind the scenes, you know, supporting my husband or really, you know, that's really what I did. I was not a part of their Olympic quest. But again, remember when I talk about the insights and the nuggets of possibility or the windows of inspiration, windows of possibility, that's what I'm talking about. Their story gave me hope of, Hey, you can be taken down. People can say you don't matter or you're not going to be able to do this. And they did. And they went against the grain and they had it happen, and they became, they created who they become. So number 12 is there's always a chance for hope, even after tremendous heartache. Number 13. So remember when I was talking about Brene Brown and the gifts of imperfection, and I was like, she keeps talking about this compassion thing. And what does she mean? Because I was like a hard ass. Like when I was a head coach at the college, I'd have these young former athletes, and they were typically men who would come on and be on my staff. And they were usually former athletes of my husband's and, and they had loved and adored him. And I was like, uh Oh, these guys are going to think that on their birthday, I'm going to bring cupcakes and balloons. Like that's not who I am. So I, I would say to them, I go, look, I can either be nice or a bitch. I choose bitch because nice men, I had to bring cupcakes and I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And as a bitch, but remember that, that growth fixed mindset, like it's a continuum I don't have to be either a bitch or be nice. Like there's a continuum and that's where compassion is in between those places. And so Krista Knapp has been this great teacher for me to learn about compassion and compassion is the biggest motivator for change and compassion has boundaries. It has allowed me to become is to become fierce and direct and to be loving and kind because I would have this armor and I'd be this hard ass out here, but I have this heart that is so loving but it took so much work for people to like let people in. And so compassion has really been my way through this. And the more I've learned to be compassionate with myself, and it doesn't mean, you know how to say, it's not about like binging at Netflix for nine hours and eating. If you, for those of you that remember bonbons, like it's not sitting there, you know, just indulging. Compassion is about 
What's working well and what needs improvement? What can I learn from this? How am I growing? How am I evolving? Do I need to grow today or do I just need a rest? That's all compassionate. So compassion has been a huge gift of mine and I've been practicing and I screwed up and yes, I can be really hard on myself, but compassion has been definitely my way through it. So I'm so grateful for her work. And for those of you who go, but I suck at it. Well, guess what? I asked her on the show and she's been on a couple of times. Why did you study compassion? And she said, well, cause I was horrible at it. <laughs> so of course, the things that we're not good at, we're going and looking for, right? My way of looking for it was to create a radio show, a podcast. Her way was to get a PhD and become a professor of it, right? Pursue what it is that you need to learn. And we all have different pathways to do it. For some of you, maybe reading a book. Some of you may be like signing up for one of my groups or signing up for group coaching or private coaching because you want to learn and you want to implement it. But just know we can all learn. And then finally, Number 14 is from Heidi Grant Halverson. And this is something that I really live by. And I hope you can incorporate because there's so much shame around success. And what Heidi has said is success is very personal. Success is how you define it. And you must think about that. I was talking with a client this week and I said, well, it depends. What race do you want to get in? right? And how do you want to evaluate yourself? What is your success? Like, so is it that I have to live in a certain neighborhood or that I have to have this kind of house or I have to have this kind of lifestyle or I have to have, you know, this kind of job? What is success for you? What is really important for you? And again, I had these ideas, that little girl who was 11, who was so afraid, so scared. We were poor. My parents were fighting about money. And I remember lying in bed. And for me, success was to be safe financially. And I thought the way as 11 year old was to be a lawyer. (laughs) And I coach a lot of lawyers and, you know, they're great at their careers, but for me, that's not the right fit. But if I had pursued that and said, this is success for me, I would have been Ariane de Bonvoisin said on my show, climbed a very wrong ladder for me. So make sure you climb the ladder that is right for you. What is success for you? Success for you may be having four kids and being a stay-at-home parent, right? Success for you may be not having kids and creating the job that you like. Or I have a good friend who ran a very successful business and sold it at, I think, 45 and works part-time doing books and, you know, for some spending cash and having a great little life. And that's success for her. But what is success for you? You get to define it. So now it's my turn to thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve you, to be in your ears each week, to be a trusted source. And I know for many of you, a trusted friend over the years. I thank you. And I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So 
go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes, and that will ensure you that you never miss a show. And you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.